What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Gloves Off Podcast with James McSweeney and Evil What's Eddie. On, What's going on, James? How you doing, boss? Yeah, I, I'm doing really good over here. It's been a crazy past couple of weeks. And uh, before we start the show, I just want to thank our sponsors for today's program or else, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing here today. And uh, it's brought to you by MMA Team Manager, by Alternative Software. And you guys have a chance to go out there and see what it's like to be an MMA manager, like Ali Abdelaziz or all the other big names that are out there. So uh, if, if you are one of these people that think that you have what it takes and can do a better job, give a shot because this is a really realistic game. It's very... Uh, it's so detailed. It's right on point, and uh, I'm going to be doing more gameplay of it. So me and James want to thank our sponsors. Go check it out. The link's going to be down below if you want to download. We're going to be doing a giveaway. So let's jump into today's episode, episode number 14. Let's just start by what's been going on with James here. James, you're in America, man. Welcome to America. Welcome yeah, back. It's nice to be back. <laughs> it's nice to be back. But um, where I am right now, I'm in uh, Detroit. It's a little bit cold. So a bit of a contrast to what I'm used to, but uh, I'll get used to it soon enough. Training camp starts tomorrow. Fight news is going to be announced soon. Mm. It is a slow start to the year, to be honest, with uh, I had a lot of fight offers and a lot of uh, negotiations taking place and some agreements couldn't be made. So um, I wasn't going to take it this time. So I didn't, unless they were going to match what I was looking for, I wasn't going to take the fight. And then all of a sudden now I've got... Um, I've got, a, I've got a kickboxing world title on the table. I have an MMA world title on the table. I've got some other realms of uh, fighting on the table. So it will be announced in the next um, in the next week or so. But for me, training camp starts tomorrow. So, uh, yes, I'm over in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I've got my training camp is all set. And uh, it's going to start real soon. So, when, actually, when was the last time that you were here in America? Because people obviously remember you being on the Ultimate Fighter and uh, you, you trained here for many years with Rashad and Shab and all these different places in America. So when's the last time that you were actually here? I was in America two years ago, visiting family. My wife is American, and of course my daughter was born in America. Uh, we were here two years ago, visiting family. But um, actually training camp and getting ready to fight in America has probably been over six years. Wow. Uh, would have been in Las Vegas the last time I was training in, in America for a fight was in Las Vegas. So uh, that was back when I first signed with 1FC in 2013. So, uh, yeah, over six years ago. That's so yeah. crazy, man, because you've you've been all over the world. I'm kind of jealous, you know, being in Thailand, here in America. So uh, I'm glad that things are going good. And I saw you on E! News as well, James. What's, what's up? I saw you on E! News. Yeah, the E! News uh, press release for the movies coming out soon. I saw it in a movie last year. Sankam, uh, it's a martial arts movie, uh, but it's more of a love story. It's just about, it's more of a love story than it is a martial arts movie, but of course it has, it's about a mixed martial artist fighter. So um, when you when you always see fighters in movies, you see, oh, it's just some cheesy, corny martial arts movie. But as it turns out, this movie is, um, yeah, it's, 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 about, it's about a guy that falls in love with, with his partner. And as a living, he, he is a mixed martial artist, but the emphasis of the fight, of the movie is more about his story and the troubles he went through in his in his real life, um, which relates eventually to mixed martial arts. But it's you know it's a martial arts movie, but it's more of a love story. But I was fortunate enough to uh, co-star in the movie, and it goes in cinemas I believe in August. So I'll be flying out to uh, Kuala Lumpur for the premiere. Uh, the red carpet hits us in August uh, this year. So uh, that's all coming. And uh, in the meantime, while I'm back, I've got some other projects in America that I'm looking forward to doing. I've got some commercials and uh, another movie coming up as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy time for 2019. Of course, Gloves Off podcast is flying. Uh, thank you to all the all the listeners that's loving what we're doing. And, uh, of course, thank you to our sponsors that are helping us along the way. We wouldn't be able to do it without any of you. So uh, forever thankful for your loyalty. Yeah, this is a really popular podcast in the last couple of months. A couple thousand downloads every time we do this thing. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to announce some giveaways. Let's jump. Well, really quick. Yesterday, check this out, James. I went to go meet Chuck Zito. I got to, uh, to hang out with Chuck Zito for a little bit. How's that? Oh, my God. Well, like, I'm even like Chuck Zito. Oh, wow. He's a cool guy. 
he, he actually trained under Henzo for a while. And for people out there that don't know who he is, he yeah. was president of the Hells Angels, New York chapter for 25 years, uh, a big time movie star. He was on Oz. He was in a, a whole bunch of movies. Best friends with Sylvester Stallone, dated Pamela Anderson. Uh, he, you guys see him all the time at the UFC events. He was he was telling me that he mm -hmm. was at the very first UFC event out in, I think, what was wow. it, Denver, right? Was it in Denver, the first? Yeah, that's right. Was it Denver, Colorado? That's correct. So how crazy is that between UFC 1 till yep. now? And it's just amazing. And he had a lot of cool stories to share that uh, it, it was just a I blast. Bet he has. I bet he has. <laughs> Absolutely. I bet he gives some very good stories. I know, I know he's part of some real good guys. So he's, had a, he's had a pretty good life, old chap. You know what? One of the craziest thing, he's never done a drug or drink in his life. Being around that kind of society, that's wow. very impressive, right? You wouldn't think that. It's a strong mindset. It's a very, very big strong mindset. Yes, that's a testament to his character right there. That's a, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I thought I didn't know if he, was, he did drugs, but I knew I thought he would have been drinking for sure. Yeah. But, um, well, that's amazing. Yeah, and you know what else? Great caliber. He's not that tall, but his hands, like, there's a photo I posted. His hands the size of my head. Like, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen hands that big. But, uh, James, UFC 236 went down last night. Everybody's in an uproar uh, over Dustin the Diamond, Israel Adesanya. What do you think about this kid, Israel Adesanya? I thought the fight was fantastic. I mean, isn't the, they, they had a war, right? The fight was, was just absolutely was awesome. I think he's a very talented, very flamboyant. Um, you know, he's coming through and he's making his mark. He's just landed. Now he's just landed. That fight is really, I mean, if he wasn't on the map already, which I believe he was, he's definitely on the map now. So that was a, it was an amazing fight. You know, Kelvin Gastelum, man, he's been on a run, been taking out some big names. So Israel Asani, his next move is uh, Kelvin, Kelvin is super tough, super smart, super talented. And, you know, he's not the gatekeeper because he's way more than a gatekeeper, but he is a big name. Um, he, he's strong and, and experienced as they come. So to take that feather in the cap is, is a huge fight. Now, moving on, Robert Whittaker is another huge fight. I mean, this, this is, he's going back-to-back, -to -back, tough opponent after tough opponent. So if he hasn't already proved himself, in my opinion, he has, um, Whittaker is, is going to be really, uh, they've got a really tough fight ahead of him. You know, I think the way that the UFC handled his career or his manager, whoever his manager has handled, you know, making the matchups from entering the UFC, then uh, switching it up a little bit. All right, let's try him with a wrestler. Then all the way up until 2019. Like, he, this kid debuted last year. He's only been in the UFC for a year now. Yeah, I mean, he, but there, there's, there's two sides to that. So you can, it's, it's hard to say because, you, okay, listen, he's come out of nowhere in respect of time. But he's had good fights. He's fought good people. But my only fears is when you get young lads like this come through that are super talented. Is they can handle the fight, they can handle the experience, they can handle the the limelight. You know. But the problem is, is, is he going to start handling exposure? He, you know, he's now he's on the big leagues, he's on big money. He's everyone wants a piece of him. He's going to be sent here, there, and everywhere. Um, that's where you're going to start seeing if the cracks start to appear, if you can handle that kind of pressure. And we've seen a lot of other fighters come through that have made it huge, and some have, okay, had that little bit of pressure, they've kept it on, but some have very broke under that pressure and made huge mistakes, especially being a young guy. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit dangerous, I feel, when that happens. And it's, it's exciting, too, to watch, to see how he's going to do, because, you know, this is a big deal for uh, a kickboxer to come over to the UFC, be this successful, and he really hasn't had an issue this entire time. So I think the Whitaker fight's going to be, and I, I've said this every time this guy fights, this is going to be his true test, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I said. The fight he just had, I mean, that was that was his real true test, right? Yeah, I mean, he right. passed it with flying colors. He passed it with flying colors, and, and we've got to give credit where it's due, and, and that's what he's just done. He's proved oh, a lot of the naysayers completely wrong, if there's any questions about, oh, he's just a kickboxer, he's not just a kickboxer. He was a very successful kickboxer in his own right. He stepped away from kickboxing. He's learned the mixed martial arts realm. He's dedicated his time and his effort, and he's put it together very nicely. And now he's a mixed martial artist, that's for sure. Um, I think that's that's something we have to kind of hang up that labelism of, oh, he's just a kickboxer. He's yeah. not just a kickboxer. We've seen that yeah, by numerous techniques and tumors. I mean, if, if he was just a kickboxer, he wouldn't have lasted the last fight. He just lasted, that's for sure. Um, 
is just no way possible. Um, so he's he's way more than that. I mean, it means he's a young, intelligent, smart. Um, puts his gym work into his cage work, which he's transferring everything that he's learned in the gym and he's using it in the cage and he's using it with success. So that's there's a lot of fighters out there that have that problem. That in the gym they're killers. In the gym they know all the techniques. They can get the underhook. They they know the distance. They know the level changes. When it comes to the fight and they get a little bit of pressure, they go back to being what they used to be, whether it's a wrestler, boxer, kickboxer, whatever it may be, a jiu-jitsu expert. They they go back to their realm. Where you're not seeing that with him, you're not seeing him be put under pressure and him break and go back to his old realm. He's still keeping the stencil and the blueprint of a mixed martial artist and implementing all the techniques that he's learned on the way, and that is what's making him who he is. So, so I, I think really yes, we've got to understand he came through the network as a kickboxer. He's no longer a kickboxer, that's for sure. Oh yeah, he's a full-fledged mixed martial artist, and Robert Whittaker has a big task on his hand, and so does he with Robert Whittaker. This is the, this is a, a very very good tough experienced fight. It's not the fight that puts him on the map because he's already on the map. This is just if you're gonna be at that level, these are the caliber of fighters you got to hang with. So let's see if he can stay consistent with that. And you know what? I usually. You know, a lot of people give slack for the interim thing, but this was an interim fight that made sense because the actual champion is injured. So, it, yeah, it well, this a... is when this is this is when interim actually makes sense. Yeah, this is when it makes sense. This is when two guys clearly deserve to be fighting for a championship belt because the actual champion or the actual person is injured and can no longer compete, and is not going to compete for a long time. Therefore, the whole division can't be on standstill waiting for the potentialness of someone to come back. Someone deserves to have that belt and walk up with it. This is where Intrum makes sense. Intrum doesn't make sense under the other realms that it's fallen fault to it before. This is the one time, the one situation that actually makes sense. And if you watch the fight again and you study the fight that just took place, you see both of those guys deserve and have the qualities and the, everything it takes to be a champion. And you know what? Honestly, I got to say this as well. He's got everything the UFC is looking for in a fighter with the personality. That is huge for them. And he, he's got every he's got all the ingredients to be a huge star. He's got star quality, right? Yes. He's got he's got that he's he's got that if he walks into a room, people know he's in the room. He's got that star quality, he's got that persona, he's got that aura. He can carry himself well. He knows how to promote a fight. He's a professional. He, he's very flamboyant in the cage, but he's very technical. He's not reckless. So, so far, he's ticked all the boxes. And coming from someone of his age, I'm not saying he's like a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old. He's not that young. But newly in the sport, just over a year in the, in the UFC, I mean, that is a young time in, in, to be showing those qualities. So this is the kind of star qualities that the UFC to need to... Um, to bounce off people like Conor McGregor and other guys that have come through that uh, are no longer active at the moment. And I just pulled up a tweet that was just tweeted out by Robert Whitaker that says, I'll see you soon, mate. So, the, you know, I, I believe that he's got... Oh, Dana, Dana announced it, right? That's the next fight. Dana yeah. announced it at the, at the after at the, uh, the after talk. So um, that's the next fight. I can't wait to see that. Also... Uh, you brought something very interesting up, James, before we move on with this. You were saying, you know, there's guys at the gyms, they're good at, at this, they're good at that, and you think they're going to do really well on, on the big stage, but some guys out there don't, and I, I'm not saying this, like I've seen it, but I've heard fighters say, a guy could look great in the gym, but then go out there and not look the same at all. Have you seen Yeah, seen because I've, I've seen that a thousand times, and I've also seen that in the other way around. Well, I've seen guys train in the gym and look absolutely terrible on the pads. Like they look ugly sparring, you know, and their wrestling's not really on point. And then they go out there and they, they're like, and they just put it together perfectly on the day. And it's like, wow, when you, when you actually go out there and you heart your, your tools and they show heart, they, they're actually much more technical, much better than they ever could be in the gym. So you get two sides of that coin. I've seen that numerous times where I've seen guys on the pads that absolutely snap the pads. They look fantastic. They've got all the, the key movements down and, and on jujitsu when it's just jujitsu without grappling, without, without actually striking they're just grappling. They look fantastic. And then you see them go to the, to the fight and they're petrified. 
or they just can't put two and two together to make it, you know, to build that bridge. And that's the problem where people, I've had this numerous times, this is one of my biggest pet peeves in, in the martial arts world, is that some young kids or young fighters out there believe if I go to a jiu-jitsu gym on Monday morning and I go to a Thai boxing gym on Monday night and then I go and do wrestling on, on Tuesday morning then conditioning and I do all the separate things that makes you a mixed martial artist. Well, yeah, on paper it does, but it doesn't make you a mixed martial arts fighter because you've got to build the bridge between all of those tools, all of those different systems. And if you're just expecting because I know jiu-jitsu, then I know how to ground fight in an MMA fight, or because I know Thai boxing, I can stand up in MMA, or because I wrestle, I know how to wrestle. There's a lot of aspects of that that are very useful, and there's a lot of aspects of each one of those that are very not useful. So there's things that work in Thai boxing that will never work in MMA. There's things that work in jiu-jitsu, Matt, that will never work in MMA, and vice versa. There's things you have to use that, that will work in MMA. So it's your job and your coach's job to build the bridge between each system. And you've got to be thinking every single time you're doing each one of those realms uh, that if you're Thai boxing, for example, your, your, your stature has to be slower. Your stance has to be lower. Your elbows can't be out like a, like a standard Thai, Thai boxer. There's, there's certain techniques that do not work from Muay Thai to MMA. Like you can't single kick in MMA. Uh, you're going to get taken down. You can't make certain connections with uh, strikes from the bottom side to the top right-hand side because you're going to get taken down because you're leaning too far on that corner side. There's certain things in jiu-jitsu. If, if you're just jiu-jitsu, you've got to start hand-fighting and looking for strikes. There's lots of different parts of that realm that you have to learn to build the bridge between. So just because you do on paper what it says to be a mixed martial artist like jiu-jitsu, wrestling, Thai boxing, strength conditioning, or a bit of boxing doesn't mean you can actually put it together. You have to, every single session you're doing, no matter what realm it may be, you must only be doing the stuff that's relevant to mixed martial arts. Now, I also, before we talk about the main event, there was a kid that I've been watching for years uh, in the local senior, and he made his UFC debut last night. He ended up not winning the fight. That's got to be so crushing to him. So from your standpoint, what was it like the first time you walked out the octagon? And what kind of advice could you give to somebody in that in that position? Like, can you let our listeners know what that feels like being making your debut on the big screen? Well, the first time I made my official debut was when I fought um, in Vegas in the finale of the Ultima Fighter when I fought uh, Daniel Schoonover. So... Um, that, that feeling is like, you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's more than your average fight because because it's the big show, right? It's everything you've ever dreamed of. But you have to kind of disengage from what you've built up to being. It's just another fight. It's just another, but you've got to take it as serious as you would all of them. You can't downplay it and you can't upplay it. You've got to ride the weather. But unfortunately, what comes out, just because it's where you want to be, just like any fight, you can win and you can lose. You know, um, the pressure of losing something that you dreamt of to be so amazing, of course, is is even is even more the soul destroying after you lose, uh, just especially after you lose in any fight is soul destroying, let alone it's your dream fight for your dream organization. Hopefully it's not over. Hopefully he, they, they call him back and he's not just one fight and done. Um, there, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that take place when you have your first UFC fight. There's a lot, and you've heard the UFC jitters before, right? Where people have been swallowed up by the big show. They've been swallowed up. It's n no different once you're in that cage than any other cage you've ever fought upon. It's just how you perceive that cage. It's just because it's like it's your dream. It's what you've worked your whole life for. So you can either use that to fuel you or sometimes you can that energy can eat you up a little bit. Sometimes then nervous energy, you overthink, you over, you can freeze, you can, uh, you know, you, there's a million and one things that can happen that can cause you not to perform your very best. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's soul destroying. It, it's very hard to lose something you've worked your whole entire career for and then unfortunately drop the ball as you got there. I think that happens to anybody in any different thing they've ever dreamt of. It doesn't matter what it may be. It's very tough. But the fact of the matter is, this is your job. You're a fighter. You can win and you can lose. You just have to get up, brush yourself down, correct the wrongs you make 
and get back in there and do it again with no... This is what happens, unfortunately, to some fighters. Is I, let, I had to learn this along the way, and I, I struggled with this sometimes myself. I've never actually discussed this before. Um, when you lose a fight, it leaves scar tissue. You know, it can leave scar tissue not only on your body but in your brain. You know, especially nowadays with all the social media, with all the people that can jump on board and voice their opinion on your performance. And no one's harder on your performance than yourself as a fighter. But you don't ever want that self-doubt to creep in. Have you ever seen, like, some fighters, when they win two or three fights in a row, they'll go on a massive winning streak? Yeah. Have you ever seen a fighter that loses one or two fights in a row then goes on a massive losing streak? He couldn't win a fight if he tried. And it's like, what? why do you think that happens? Well, what that happens is that's the mirror effect. The mirror effect of if you win two or three fights in a row, you've finally convinced yourself or you've confirmed to yourself that you're as good as you've always said you are. You deserve to be there and you believe it and you actually believe that no one can beat you now. And that confidence builds. When you lose a couple of fights in a row, you can doubt yourself. You can believe the doubt in yourself and... You second-guess yourself. You don't want to lose, so then you overemphasize the fact you don't want to lose. But by the by, actually just saying the word lose, you're putting it in your brain. Yeah. And therefore, sometimes it creeps back in, and there's a particular time during that fight where maybe you're struggling, and you say, I don't want to lose, or I don't want this, or I don't, but it's a negative. And unfortunately, the negative you've put out there happens. Now, there's numerous fighters out there I could mention. I'm actually one of them. I won't put anyone on blast. I'll put it on myself. I had a losing streak of like three or four fights in a row. And I didn't actually doubt myself. I've always kept myself particularly confident. But I think the psychological game that I was playing with myself was the wrong one. I was telling myself, I don't want to lose again. I'm sick of this. I don't want this feeling. I feel like a loser every day. And I was telling myself that. If, if that was going to help me build myself up, like drag me through the dirt. But in fact, what I was really doing was convincing myself of the word lose, right? When I should have been like blank slate, start again. I'm, I'm just going to do the very best I can to be the very best fighter I can. When I, can, when I perform my best, I will always win. That's a positive a attribute to keep telling yourself. I was using an unpositive one. And unfortunately, I fell victim to it. And you know what? I feel like a lot of, like, I'm not a fighter, but I can only imagine how much of the the mentality in the middle of a fight, if you start the fight off in the first round and you, you think you're losing, trying to regain confidence has to be so hard for a lot of guys. Well, the, the problem is, it's not about regaining confidence. It's just, it's just, you're always confident on your ability. You're always confident that you've had a good training camp. You're always confident in yourself. But you know what? Just sometimes in a fight, you may view the fight different than the actual fight is happening. And if you, if there were some fighters out there that can be 100% honest, and there's many that are, they will say, yeah, there was a particular point during the fight that I lost. I told myself I was losing. I felt like I was losing. And there's two things you can do with that. You can either suck it up and grit your teeth and spit your gum shield and, and start fresh, you know, and put a bit of grit in your spit and go back out there and just say, fuck it, let's go. And just put the last two or three rounds behind you and forget about it and just give it your all and fight your heart out and see what happens. Or you just focus on the fact that you've lost those rounds or you lost that minutes or you lost or you got hit or you're hurt and you become victim to it. And uh, I found over the years, look, I'm 38 now, I found over the years, I just started to not give a fuck anymore. <laughs> I just started to really not give a fuck and really just enjoy my fights. Yeah. And when I started to do that, I started to win. And I felt that I, you know, even when I lost against Thiago Silva, uh, I lost on a decision. Um, I felt I won the fight. I felt yeah. I was winning the fight the whole way through the fight. It was a gruesome, dirty blood fest that was a great fight. fight that was an amazing you fight know, but at the, end, at the end of the day i enjoyed every fucking minute of that fight and i really did i imagine even if you ever speak to tiago i even said to him a minute or uh, a minute and a half away from the end of the third round come on champ let's go uh, give me what you got i thought you were the veteran i thought you were the killer let's go <laughs> and i was just 
I was just like, ah, is this? What, like, I was just loving the fact that it was a good fight. You know what I mean? Like, let's give the people what they want. The crowd were going crazy. I was cut to pieces. He was hurt. We were both went to the hospital after the fight. We both put our hearts out there. We were both exhausted. We had a great fight, and that's really what it's about, right? That's yeah. what it's about. Yeah. And, and I just started to feel that way now, and I feel that way about my fights. Like. I've got nothing to prove anymore to anybody or myself. I know what I'm capable of doing, and I know how well, how good I can do. Just like every other fighter out there that's fighting. Like, if you just saw uh, Max Holloway, they both just said to each other at the end, they just looked at each other as if, like, they could just tell they were part of something good. Yeah. Something, they just brought something great out of each other. You know, and Max said to him, man, that was one hell of a fight, fucking, you know. And he said, yeah, you got to beat the champ." You, you got to beat someone great to become the champ, and they just complimented the shit out of each other after that fight, and even apologized for cursing at him the day before. <laughs> that's, that's how much respect he had. Do you know what I mean? Now, how could you not love that? You know, as a fighter myself, I mean, yes, of course, it was amazing who won, and Max carried the loss like a pure champion that he is, and he'll be back, and I'm sure of it. But that's. Them two guys just didn't give a fuck. They just went out there and said, you know what? I ain't doubting myself. I ain't questioning. We threw back and forth and back and forth, and we put it on for the crowd. That's what fighting's really about. And I've just learned to adjust to that over the years, and I think it comes with experience. You stop doubting yourself. You stop questioning yourself. And the minute you stop doing all that crap, the minute you should start performing your best because all the pressure's gone. And Max Holloway is a perfect example of somebody like that. Came to the UFC, lost a couple of fights, and then didn't lose after the McGregor fight. He lost to Dustin, lost to Connor, and then made a yeah. complete 180. Went on, a, a, I think, like a 13-fight win streak. But look at that. Look at that. He lost to Conor McGregor, which, no, not being funny, there's a few fighters out there that have lost to Conor McGregor that have never come back and been the same since. Yeah, yeah. We can name right? a bunch. I'm, I'm, yeah, we can name a bunch, right? So, and they were high level, high quality guys that were just smashing everybody and kind of come out of nowhere and just fucking made them look stupid and, and just won the fight, right? Just won the fight. But their mental attribute never recovered from that. Their capabilities are exactly the same, if not better. But look what Max Holloway did. He came out, he got better. He didn't care that he, well, he did care that he lost against Connor, but he didn't doubt himself from it. He took it in his stride and he came back and he's performing at the highest level in different weight classes and just loving what he's doing. He's just loving what he's doing. And when you love what you do, you perform your best. That's the bottom line. And you know what else, man? Like, it, you mentioned the perfect thing. He's taking this loss like a champ. Like, it, it's, I'm sure it bothers him. But he got so much out of oh. it, he must feel like a winner. Of course it bothers him. There's no fighter in the world that doesn't get bothered when he loses a fight. Yeah. That's that's 1,050%. But the fact of the matter is, is, you know, this is a fight game. You know, if you don't want to if you don't want to lose, don't fight. And in my opinion, and I'm just a fan, there was no loser in that fight. Let yeah. me tell you that much. Max put his heart on the line and he and he fought with such poison and just amazing technique and heart and, and conditioning. And and so did and so did Dustin. They both just put on an amazing fight. There's no there's no loser. The fa the fans loved it. The 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 the, the referee loved it. The, the commentators loved it. You and I loved it. They enjoyed it. There's no loser there, apart from unfortunately on paper, Max lost. But you know what? He'll be back. Fighting back at a different weight class, back at a different realm, and he's back at 145, and I'm sure he'll be kicking ass like he did. He stepped up to 155. Yeah. He looked small, and I was surprised he looked small, but he did. It, but he still went the distance, and he still put on a very close, amazing performance fight. Hats off to him. I can't, you know, you just, just that's a quality that some, unfortunately, it's not, it's not downplaying the fans by no means, but. There's not many people in the world know what it's like to go out there and fight for five, five-minute rounds at that pace and that level. They don't know what it takes physically and mentally to be able to do that. And another thing, man, it, it's it's so crazy because Dustin, if you rewind a couple of months ago, was getting so frustrated with the UFC because he 
wasn't getting a title shot after going on a crazy win streak, taking out guy after guy. And then the whole Nate Diaz fight was supposed to go down, and then that backfired on him. He was getting very frustrated. So it's nice to see somebody like him and the situation that he was going through finally hold the gold. It means a lot. Well, I, th- I think talent always prevails. And if you could be patient, which is very hard because – Unfortunately, in this sport, you've got this much window of time and opportunity and everything else. So people can get frustrated. And if you do feel that you deserve it, which I did feel he did, um, you know, exp- you know, your frustrations can come out. And eventually his patience and his, and his timing and I believe his, uh, his talent prevailed and, and he got the opportunity he deserved. So nothing but hats off to him. But I can understand his frustration for sure because – out of nowhere, the game can change in a heartbeat, and one day you're on, you're on, you're sitting in the sun, the next minute you're in the shade, right? That's how it is. And guys, the next pay per view coming up is UFC 239's Jones vs Santos. Like this, this entire year has been so amazing for the UFC, for combat sports in general. Bellator, one of, oh my god, BKFC, they just had a crazy, crazy event. And I wanted to ask you this, James, how many times can guys go out there? And take damage like that. Like after five, if you look at Artem and you look at Jason Knight and the damage that they took, how many times can you can you can you take that? Well, I, I fought bare knuckle numerous times in my career. I fought in Muay Thai bare knuckle and I fought old old time boxing bare knuckle years and years and years ago. Um, even though it looks more damaging and terrible, most of the time it's more surface because of the no gloves so the damage is more surface of the swelling the cuts it looks more brutal because it's on the surface whereas if you look at boxing or look at the nfl for example there's far more head traumas in nf in in uh, american football than there is in mma right yeah because the trauma is they hit heads there's nothing externally damaging, but it's all the impact on the brain. The fluid on the brain is moving. Same as boxing. You're wearing big gloves, a lot of head, comp- uh, uh, a little head contact, and, of course, the damage is being done to the brain. Now, I'm not saying there's no brain contact with, these, with, with bare knuckle, because there is, but there's not as much because you can't punch as hard bare knuckle as you can with boxing gloves. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yes, on the surface, it looks battered and bruised and cut and scarred but the actual vibrations internally on the brain are far less um than it would be if it was a normal boxing match um but of course the face still needs to heal the skin needs to heal the tissue needs to heal so i would imagine two to three times a year depending on the type of fight you have yeah. i mean looking at looking at the guys low burden that they just fought and the scar tissue and the damage they had i wouldn't imagine you could have three or four of those a year, right? Because it just takes too long for the underlying scar tissue to heal. But if you're going out there and getting a little cut or a little broken nose or, you know, a little bit of swelling, a black eye, yeah, not a big deal. You can go out and do that three or four times a year, no problem at all. Um, so even though it's getting, you know, there's a lot of um, supporters for the bare knuckle scene and there's a lot of frowners. Don't forget, there was a lot of frowners in the MMA world first coming around as well. Mixed oh, martial yeah. arts come. Well, nobody liked it. Everyone thought it was brutal and disgusting. It wasn't even legal and so forth. And now it's one of the top prime time. Now it's on uh, ESPN. Growing... Yeah, now it's on ESPN. Yeah, now it's the biggest growing sport in the world, right? So you know, so I, I, at the end of the day, if the fighters enjoy it and there's a realm for fighters to earn money and the, and and the spectators enjoy it, then watch it, enjoy it. And keep everybody healthy. Make everyone sure that all the all the aspects are taking place, which I believe they are. And, and just if you don't enjoy it, same as mixed martial arts, don't watch it. Yeah, I, I'm, um, you you made a great point there because I was wondering about if it caused more damage uh, not wearing the gloves because we're learning a lot about CTE and the the side effects that's going on with all these guys. So I was a little scared for a second. I, I feel a lot more comfortable now that you broke it down and explained it. it yeah, makes but, a lot of sense. Yeah, but, if you think of as mixed martial arts, right? Because there's less, there's less contact with 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 the with head punches in MMA than it was in boxing, for example. Um, there's other areas of the body. Now with bare knuckle boxing, yes, there's a lot more head strikes, but you don't have a big 
big wrap under your knuckles uh, with a big solid pad on it, and you don't have a big fifth, uh, you know, a ten ounce glove or eight ounce glove on top of that supporting that. So if you think you get hit with a big solid cushion, it's not external damage majority of the time. It's impact and then the vibrations and the brain uh, swirling around inside the, the brain fluid which is causing all these uh, conditions um, anything from you know concussion which is causing uh, problems down the line which unfortunately has caused issues in boxing caused issues in rugby caused issues in american football and ice hockey and all these other sports so boxing and martial arts is not the only one there's many other sports out there that this happens with uh, but of course because Bare knuckle boxing looks as uh, aftermath of it looks kind of shocking. Uh, people think, oh wow, then look, think about the brain. Well, actually, if you think about it, the trauma internally is nowhere near because the vibration, the, the punch is external. It's, it's the knuckle ripping against the bone that's cutting the skin. It's the knuckle hitting the, the skin that's making it swell. So, yes, that's as far as most of it's going. Um, I'm not saying all of it, but I'd imagine 90%, 95% of the issues are externally and not internally. Now, moving forward, also this week or last week, big news broke, and maybe you can educate our listeners a little bit. Big news broke, TJ Dillashaw got busted for EPO. And what I understand from that is an EPO helps your cardio or endurance. What, what do you know? Do you, do you know what, it's the same thing that Chell Sonnen got busted for a while ago. What, what are your thoughts on this? And what is EPO? Because it wasn't always well, illegal, right? It wasn't always illegal. No, EPO has always been illegal. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It goes back, it goes back to the um, um, Armstrong, the cyclist. Oh, yeah, um, it's the same shit, huh? Yes. That's what he was caught with. Um, basically, what EPO is, EPO wow. oxygenates, oxygenates the blood. Now, a lot of cyclists used to do it in the old days. They used to withdraw blood, spin it, oxygenate it, and then inject it back in. Um, and they would have, they would put extra blood in their body. Um, so it was even more oxygenated, which means the muscles were far more oxygenated, which means they weren't getting fatigued. They were getting more oxygen to the muscles. They were getting more oxygen to the lungs and so forth. What EPO does is it's an injection that goes under the skin. Um, it's, it can be dangerous because it thickens the blood, which can cause stroke, heart attacks, and all, all these other realms. So you have to take a blood thinner when you take EPO. Um, it oxygenates the blood. So it's very hard to detect unless it's specifically tested for, uh, which means it has crept into numerous sports across the globe. Um, you name the sport, there's probably someone, if it has the cardio instinct, I'm sure there's an athlete out there that's dabbled in it um, to enhance his cardio. There's a lot of people in the world that are cardio sensitive, which means they're just shit scared of not having the right cardio, right? Yeah. They're shit scared of getting tired, right? So if there's something that, that makes them not get fatigued, they want to take it. EPO is one of those things. In my opinion, it's a very dangerous drug. Um, but surely for the fact that it thickens the blood, it can cause strokes, heart attacks and seizures. Um, it's minute amounts that get taken. So you can easily overdose on it if you don't know how to take it. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, steroids is one thing that, you know, testosterone and stuff like that increases muscles, strength, definition, uh, can stop fatigue and all the rest of these things that can go on. EPO is exactly the same. It's just that for cardio. So if you're pop for EPO, you were trying to take a cardio um, uh, metabolism drug that was enhancing your cardio, which, to be honest, in my opinion, is probably way more beneficial than taking a testosterone because I don't believe testosterone, um, apart from the opening couple of minutes of the fight where you can be a bit more explosive, I know testosterone for a fact can give you that testosterone dump where you'll see fighters be very aggressive for the first two or three minutes and then they die because their blood, their, their muscles get pumped, they're over-oxygenated, they, all the oxygen goes to the muscles, not to the lungs, and they get fatigued, their arms come down and they get knocked out. Um, EPO is the counter for that. Now he got a, so It's a very dangerous drug to take. He got a two-year ban. Do you think that, that that's too long of a ban for getting busted for the first time? The problem is EPO is in your system for a long time. Okay. Second of all, I think it's like six months. 
EPO oh. can be in your body, takes the withdrawal from your from your body. Now, I think because he was the champion, and I think because there was, it was from a prior test, which was way back, and he's fought again since then, um, I think they've used him as, um, to send the message. Yeah. yeah, because he's the champion, right? If the champion gets popped using EPO, they need to set an example. Because it's kind of like, were they embarrassed? They didn't catch him before. Was he using it before? Did he yeah, get they... caught or start using it? Or, you know, where's the embarrassment come from? And now it's public, you know. And so they have to kind of send the message. that. And also what they want to do is EPO is very hard, very hard to track and trace and find. You have to particularly test for it. It is expensive test. And I believe it's a test taken over time where they have to do numerous tests over a couple of months to detect your, your natural levels. Kind of like growth hormone, because you know, if you're like a young eight-year-old child wakes up in the morning, busting full of energy, and runs around the house <laughs> like a lunatic, a 38-year-old man like myself, I get up, it takes me a while to get my energy. So my growth hormone levels are already expended. They're not, they're not high. Right? I've already grown. I'm fully grown. I'm not expecting to grow much more. Whereas a young child, they had their growth hormone levels are through the roof. So it's very hard to test where someone's levels are at because of their age and what they do. So it's a test that has to be taken over time to check their general levels. But they also know there's an average level for your for your size, for your weight, and for your age. So it's a it's a, it's a long winded test. So I think that's why they've come down quite harshly on him. Um, at the end of the day, do, do I think it's harsh? Not really. I think that he knew the risk he was taking. There's no excuse like, oh, I was taking creatine or I took a protein and it had this in it or I, there was a minute dose of this in my such and such. No. He there's, knew he not was the, there's not a supplement on the planet that has EPO in it. And to take <laughs> EPO, you have to get an injection. You have to make a vial. You have to suck it up. You put it under your skin and you inject it. So that's how EPO is taken. So it's not because it was in your food. It's not because it was in it some protein. Yeah. <laughs> it's EPO. You knew you were taking it. You were asked to take it and you were trying to hide it the best way you possibly could. And you got caught. So you know what? You deserve it, right? And every fighter you beat on the way deserves to step up and say, I want a fucking rematch. Or they should yeah. say, I want it taken off my record. I want it to be a no, a, a no contest. Look at Cody Nolov. He lost to him two times, and he he, he actually called him out uh, last year saying, well, why don't you tell yep. everybody what you're doing uh, behind the scenes, showing everyone at the gym how to use that thing. And I spoke to Cody, and I know Cody's a great guy, great fighter. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you know someone is in your gym talking openly about it with other fighters or is boasting they're doing it or trying to hide it and you go and fight him and unfortunately lose, um, do you put it down to the fact he was taking something sports enhancing? Well, at the end of the day, guess what? You're doing a sport, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're taking something that enhances your sport level that's banned, is that how you lost? Well, it played a fucking big factor, didn't it? Because if it didn't take a big factor on you performing better, you wouldn't have took it. So I, I don't blame Cody for being pissed. And I think on, on record, Cody should, uh, and other fighters should, stand up and say, hey, this is what was taken. He's been proved to have taken it during or before my fight with him. I want it a no contest. Now they're going back. Once they found it, they're going back to look at his older tests and testing for that specifically, and they're finding it in those samples as well now. Saying it has to be a specific test. So if it wasn't tested before, before this is why they've came down for him with a two-year ban. And I won't be surprised. Um, I, I don't know if he was just start taking that or not. But no, look at what Cody said at the pre-fight. Uh, before the weigh-ins, discussing it openly in the, with the team and stuff like that. It seems like he was taking something way before that. Um, does his coaches know that he was taking it? I don't know. It's not a coach's job. Even if a coach does know, he'll probably play blind to it like he didn't yeah. know. At the end of the day, it's down, to the, it's down to the athlete. The athlete knows what he's taking. Either he's asked to take it or someone suggested for him to take it and he's agreed. But at the end of the day, it's his hand, it's his needle, it's put inside his skin, and he saw it go in, and 
that's up to him. He deserves, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. <laughs> yes. So we have one last thing to talk about before we end this episode of Gloves Off, and that is fulfilling the promise of our last episode that we uploaded. We, we did a special podcast for you guys when Conor McGregor news broke. We've had time to digest that news now, and, and time has gone on. I think it's been, what, uh, maybe two weeks now? Where do you mm -hmm. stand with this? How, how are you feeling now that we've had some time to digest everything? What's going um, on with Connor? I don't know. I mean, he's still staying. He's still saying very public on his tweets. He's still talking about lots of fights, and he's playing like the nice guy, like wishing everybody well, and he's congratulating fighters for good performances and giving them big hats and almost playing matchmaker a little bit online. He's talking like, oh, he's talking like we, as in him and the UFC would. <laughs> Like he owns the UFC, so he's he, he's he's putting like, you know, he's he, he's making uh, backhanded compliments if you, if you know what I mean. So he's saying you did great as if he's Dana White, and saying you did a great performance, <laughs> and you you should be fighting Nick Diaz next. And it's, he's making these kind of comments, right? which me I find hilarious. I still don't believe he's retired officially. Uh, I haven't heard it officially from the horse's mouth. If I'm not if I'm not wrong. Um, I just think it's going to be a matter of he knew there was some stuff going to be coming out. Yeah. I think, and I think it was a it was a precaution. Yeah, to to get everybody to pay more attention to what he said about retiring than the other news. Yeah, that makes that's what makes the most sense here. I think it's publicist cover up. Yeah, you know we spoke this before. Connor is an amazing. Uh, attribute to Genius. any company he talks well he sells fights he puts bums on seats but also behind him he's not a one-man band he has an amazing publicist he has an amazing manager he's amazing uh you know uh, everyone on board that's making him who, who he is and i believe the team behind him said hey listen we know this shit's coming to the surface let's give a little undercourage of cover-up Let's put a big something out there that's going to cause a big stir. So when this other shit comes up, it doesn't seem as big. And also, it doesn't have as much ground as if if you're still active in the UFC as a fighter and shit comes to thing, it's like, wow, well, what's going to happen now? What's the UFC yeah. going to do? But if you've, if you've said, well, I'm retired, it's nothing to do with UFC, is it? Yeah, that's so genius. Everything that he does is so well thought out. It's so personally, do you know what I mean? So it's so I think it's a very smart move, um, but I do believe it's a publicist cover-up. Um, and just like anything, it's blowing over, right? 100%. Something else is going to happen. He can you're going to forget about it, and then someone else is going to do something stupid the week after. Like you know, all of a sudden now, uh, you know, he's come through and he's been popped for EPO. Everyone's talking about that. You know, next week something else is going to happen. No one's going to talk about that anymore. Now Connor's three or four steps down the totem pole. It's old news. So it just moves on, right? You know what we call that in the podcast world? That's job security. <laughs> All these headlines. <laughs> That's what we need. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not overly thinking about it or taking it too serious. I know he's going to fight again eventually. Someone's going to come up. The fight's going to take place. The right money's going to be put out there. And just like anything, the right, build, the right strategic build business plan will take place. Uh, if it ain't the UFC, it'll be Conor McGregor making it. So that does it for episode 14 of Gloves Off with James McSweeney and myself, Evil Letty. Once again, we want to thank our sponsors, Alternative Software, and their new game, MMA Team Manager. If you guys think you have what it takes to be somebody like Ali Abdelaziz, you're, you're talking shit saying, I can do a better job. Try it out. Play the hand. This I played this game. It's so much fun. It's so realistic. It's so It's very strategic. Everything is so on point. So it's one of my favorite games right now. I can't get enough of it. And we're going to be doing a giveaway very soon that we're going to announce on the next episode. Make sure to give us a follow on our Instagram at glovesoff underscore pod. Follow James at McSweeneyMMA and myself at PureEvilMMA underscore. James, that about does it. Any last words here? Thank you all again. See you soon. All right. Have a great one, guys. We're out.